Genesis chapter 9. We do have notes for you, and uh, hopefully you have those now. If not, you go ahead and slip your hand up, and we'll bring them to you. Let's all stand for the reading of the Word this morning. Genesis 9, verse 18 through 29. Are you all there? Let me tell you why we stand. I'm asking you to stand. Please stand. Please stand. He said, well, I can't stand. That's okay. We'll pray for you. You have to be so formal. It's a matter of honor is what it is. It's, I'm not asking you to stand for me. I'm asking you to stand for the Word. And uh, so if you're able to stand, stand up. All right? Okay. Praise God. And uh, it's just sometimes we, we forget about honor, and we're going to honor God here this morning. And it's, I just feel it's important. They did that when they read the Word in the Old Testament. They did it when they read it in the New. And it's just a sign of honor. If you're not able to stand up, I certainly understand that. But you, then you just go ahead and stand up on the inside, all right? Okay? All right, good. Here we go. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. If you're all there, say amen. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, planted, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jephthah took a garment, laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Jephthah. Of Jephthah. May Jephthah live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years altogether. Noah lived 950 years, and then he died to pray. Lord, thank you for this message and for the inspiration that you gave me to, to bring it. Church, would you just begin to pray? Those of you online, pray in the Holy Ghost. Ask God to touch you change your life today. Lord, that you would touch us and change us. We thank you. May we receive your word, not as the word of a man, but as the word of God. May we be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have had a series of things, of supernatural events, that have been quickened in my spirit. That it, and the end result... Part of the end result is bringing this message to you this morning. As I said, I, I went to rest in my bed last night, which is like I thought I got raptured because when you go camping and you get back to your own stuff, I mean, my God, my God, what a mighty God we serve. Amen. How many know what I'm talking about? My carcass is just a little bit too big and perhaps just a little bit rickety to be camping for too long. But as I was weighing what the Lord would say to us today and praying, I went to sleep and I had a dream. The contents of the dream I'm not going to share. They're for me. But the dream was very, uh, very vivid, very real. I woke up from the first dream praying in the Holy Ghost. God began to speak to me, and I was kind of irritated. How many of you have been? How many of you are just really exhausted? And the last thing you want to do is get woken up, maybe even for God. Okay, so that's how I was like, "Give me a break, oh God." Meanwhile, He's trying to tell me what He wants to say to y'all today, and I was all in the flesh. I mean, I was really tired, really, really exhausted. Got to watch out for being really exhausted. I went back to sleep, had the same dream. 
with a with a spin and some and, and a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger. Woke up again and said, Oh, shaka ho ho. Something like that. And I realized God is talking to me. And I thought, Oh God, it was very intense. I began to pray, went right back to sleep again, had the same dream. And from that comes this message. How do you respond or how do you react when somebody fails? When somebody fails, when they, when they blow it. Have you ever been around when somebody failed you? Didn't keep their word to you? How do you handle the failure of other people? How do you handle your own failure? Maybe you've been in a situation where somebody close to you failed. Maybe you've been in a situation where, or a part of a church where a pastor failed in adultery. Maybe you've been in a family where a situation like that took place, where great failure happened. What's your reaction when somebody like fails horribly? Your reaction can determine much of what will take place in the future, ladies and gentlemen, when somebody fails. The Scripture tells us that Noah was a righteous man, and yet he fails. Although it's interesting in his drunkenness, we'll, we'll talk about that. He, he fails, but then there's also the failure of his son. Let's look at Noah's failure, first of all. And we do have notes. Please, please fill those in. Go preach them to somebody else. Afterwards, Noah's failure after the flood, the ark comes to rest in a, in a, on a mount called Ararat, the Bible tells us, as a period of time passes. And we know that because he plants a vineyard. Now, when you plant a vineyard, it takes a little while for the vineyard to grow. Plants a vineyard, it grows, and he gets a harvest. And to get a harvest of grapes to make wine is at least three to five years. At least three to five years to get a harvest. So we know it's not immediately after. I mean, they're, they're on the ground. We, you know, they're, they're there. He's, he's made an altar unto the Lord. The rainbow is a sign that's taken place in the sky as God's uh, covenant promise that He will never again flood the earth. He'll set it on fire. He's just not going to flood it. And so he makes wine from his vineyard and, and he gets... He gets drunk. Now, drunkenness is seen as a sin in Scripture. Proverbs talks about, Proverbs 23 talks about the effects of drunkenness. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. This is verse 34. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. Verse 35 of Proverbs 23. About the effect of drunkenness says, They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I do not feel it. When I wake up, when I wake up so I can find another drink. Hosea chapter 4, verse 10 says, They will eat, but will not have enough. They will engage in prostitution, but not increase. Because they have deserted the Lord and they have given themselves to prostitution, to old and to new wine, which takes away understanding. In 1 Corinthians 6, 10, it says, Those who are drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? So drunkenness is basically a problem that's rampant in our culture. How many of you know that? I mean, we saw people getting drunk down at the beach, although the, the, the wonderful thing is every time we go down there, it just seems to be isolated from us. It's far off, but it's never near our, t- never near our, never near our place. I remember we went to go uh, fishing in one of the rivers in Willow and went with Bob Jewett and, uh, and a friend of his and friend of his had a 45 Magnum with a really long barrel on it because it was bear country right there. So we go salmon fishing. He's got this massive handgun on his hip like something out of a Clint Eastwood movie. So we show up and we find this spot on the bank and everybody's holing in kings and there's this guy that's obviously drunk and he starts mouthing off. Oh, you guys got to come and fish right next to us. Great with a couple expletives that he threw in there, which I will not say. Not only will I not say it this morning, I don't say them at all. But he did drop a couple F-bombs and stuff like that, and, you know, it was really annoying. And then I'll never forget. The guy sort of looked and goes, You have a gun. He never said one more thing. Not, not one more thing. And I thought, my gosh. 
We're in Alaska. Hallelujah. So 1 Corinthians 6.10 talks about drunkenness and how a drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. And drunkenness is a problem. It's, it's rampant. Me, meaning my, we, my, my wife and I, we, we don't drink at all uh, because for a number of reasons. Uh, one, it's the appearance of evil. How would you like to see your pastor picking up a bottle of rum or vodka or something? You know, what are you doing? Well, we're just going to make some vodka rigatoni at home. So, we don't go around condemning people who drink, and I wouldn't suggest that you do that either. The Bible doesn't say that drinking is going to take you to hell. It basically says that drunkenness. Now, the problem is, for me, if I was to have one glass of wine, that would be it. I, I would be, I'd, be, I'd be affected by that. So, the best way to make sure that you never get drunk is don't drink. Here's what's interesting back to the text. What's interesting about this text is that Noah's never condemned. There's no condemnation for Noah getting drunk. And there could be a number of reasons for that if you study this passage out. One scientist said that the water canopy had, had basically, the vapor canopy had disappeared because there had been rain now for the first time. And if that had actually happened, which we believe it does because it says that in the biblical record, then the atmospheric pressure changed and the grapes fermented even quicker. We don't know exactly why, but we, it's not discussed about his drunkenness but we see that Noah gets drunk. He, he fails. There's no condemnation of that. But here, an interesting thing happens with his son. And I, I believe there's no judgment of Noah because of that fact that there's... It was sort of like... Anybody ever blown it by accident? Anybody made a mistake? Let's, but his son, his son has his son has a problem, and it's and affects him, and affects the future generations, and it affects us. So let, let's let's talk about Ham's sin that precipitates this judgment that comes. Understanding Ham's sin, look look there, Ham's sin, look there with me. All there, Roman numeral two. His sin has a threefold aspect to it. The first one is a sexual sin. Now we don't know exactly what it means. He about his uncovering his, his father's nakedness. He saw his father's nakedness. But we know in Leviticus 18 that when that, that term, the uncovering of the nakedness of your father or the uncovering of the nakedness of your sister refers to a sexual act. Uncovering the nakedness of your sister refers to incest in Leviticus 18. And we don't know exactly what happened, but what is clear in the text, if you study it, is that something happened. In other words, he didn't just walk in on his father and see him lying there naked. He did something. And we don't know exactly what. Verse 24 says, well, we should say, first of all, that when he came out and told his brothers, his brothers responded in a way with dignity and honor. And they, they put a garment over their shoulders and they walked backwards. If you can imagine two men walking backwards with a, a cloth over their shoulders and then they threw it over their father so that they didn't see his nakedness either. Verse 24 says that when Noah awoke from his wine, he realized basically what Ham had done to him. Something sexual happened to him. And secondly, he dishonored his father. A, a dishonoring of his father. Look at B. A dishonoring of his father. You see, Ham should have done what his brothers did, but he didn't. His actions brought dishonor. Even by the way that he talked with his brothers. Come and see dad, kind of thing. And the third aspect of the sin is it brings division between his brothers and, and himself. Not unlike Cain and Abel having division. His brothers covered him and honored him, but Ham dishonored his father. The result of, the result of Noah's son's action is a curse is brought on Ham's youngest son. Why? Because Ham was the youngest son of... No because a curse is brought on Ham's youngest son, which is Canaan. And why? I, I believe it's because the Canaan was the youngest son of... Because Ham was the youngest son of Noah and Canaan was the, the son of Ham. And Shem and Jephthah are blessed. Now, this is fascinating. I want you to pay attention to this part. Shem... In fact, I hope you pay attention to the whole thing. All right. Shem 
Out of, out, of, out of these sons of Noah come what's called the table of nations. Say it with me. The table of nations. Shem would be the people of Genesis 3.15. Would, would come from Shem, would come the Jews. Jephthah would be the Gentiles who would come from them. From, from Jephthah, he would the father of the Gentiles who would receive salvation through Shem. And if you read verse 26, watch this now. Read verse 26. It says, Blessed the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. Canaan is the son of Ham, who receives a curse. Thanks, Dad. Everybody say thanks. May God extend the territory of Japheth, and may Japheth live in the tent of Shem. You look at this in two ways. There's a physical geography, and there's also a, a... physiological level of these, of these different sons. But there's a spiritual revelation here that really uh, jumps out at me. Literally, that, that Jephthah would, would be in the tents of Shem. Tent. Think about tent. What does that remind you of? Old Testament. Tent. Tent of meeting. Tabernacle. Literally, what it's talking about, it's a prophetic word that the, the Gentiles would come in under the Shekinah glory that's produced by the Messiah, of course, who is a Jew. And that the, the tents of Shem would literally be a covering for the Gentiles, and we owe Jews a debt for that. Y'all to say amen. That the glory would not only rest upon the Jews, but upon all who believe. In fact, it says in, in the book of John, to as many as received him, received him talking of Jesus, God gave them the right, and that's a judicial term, right. Rights, privileges, gave them the right to become children of God. So if you believe in Jesus, then you have the right to come under the tent of Shem, or the blessing of God's chosen people, or the blessing that is released because of the blood of the Lamb. Are you all with me? All right. So what's God saying to us? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's five things that I see here. One, or A, we live in a fallen world. Some people have the mistaken idea that if they'd only been born into a wealthy family, they'd have no problems. Some people have the mistaken idea that if they were just born a different color, then they'd have no problems. Some people have the mistaken idea that if they were just born in a different region or a different place or a different time period, everything would work out great. Well, that, that, I wouldn't count on that. Sin will operate in any structure. You come from a wealthy family, sin operates there. You come from a poor family, sin operates there. If you come from a black family, sin will operate there. If you come from a white family, sin also operates there. It is a condition that is common to mankind. So if you're a human being... I have news for you. You're going to have to deal with it. Sin is basically here in this text. Sin is externally wiped out. God deals with sin in the world and He brings this flood. And He saves Noah and his three sons and their families. Saves them. And sin is wiped out. All the drunkards, all the idolaters, they're all gone. They're all died in the flood. So here is this new family unit, not unlike the Garden of Eden. How many of you know the Garden of Eden was a perfect place? There's just one thing you couldn't do. Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's the one thing they did? And so here, here they are. This is new life. It's like the world is new. It's almost like a, another Garden of Eden. In fact, God says to him, be fruitful and multiply. It's very similar. There's a lot of similarities. And yet... Sin breaks in again. We're part of a, we have a fallen nature, and what's tragedy? What's a tragedy? The very first words recorded in Scripture of Noah saying anything. We don't. Even, Noah says, "Cursed be his grandson, Canaan." It really makes us clear that we live in a world where our our nature, unredeemed. Everybody say unredeemed. An unredeemed nature is bent on sin. 
You don't need money or a certain race or education to change us. Oh, Jag. People have to go, well, if I just had money, everything would be all right. If I just had more education, everything would be all right. Education is good. Money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the Bible says. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money as long as you don't love it. It's a tool. You use it. Amen. But some people think that if they just had money or they just had more education, everything would be okay. Look, you don't, you don't need... You don't need Education is not going to get you to heaven. The Gnostics believe that. Gnostic knowledge. They believe that if you just attain enough knowledge, then you'll be able to get to heaven. It's Gnosticism. We don't believe that. See, you don't need a rule book. Look, God, God, is, more than, God is more than a rule book. He's more than, God is bigger than, than just a bunch of rules. You don't need a rule book. You don't need more money. You don't need more education. You say, I need some money. He's just really messed up right there. I need some more money. All right, maybe you need some money. Keep tithing, keep giving, believe God, work hard. Everybody say, work hard. Be a good steward. God will bless you and you can multiply little by little, sometimes big by big. But that's not the answer to your problem. A rule book's not the answer to your problem. Lack of education is not the answer to your problem. As good as it is to get all of those things, what you need more than all of that is a Savior. You need a deliverer. You need somebody who can come and change your nature. Somebody say, amen. That's what you need. And that's what Jesus has done for you and me. God can change you. Not just that, but secondly, we have a choice. We have a choice in what we do with our lives. We have a choice of whether we sin or whether we don't. There's two reactions to the failure of Ham. We can choose to do the right thing, or we can choose to do evil. The fact that you and I, listen to this now, the fact that you and I will stand before the judgment seat in the end and give an account is proof of the fact that you can choose to do the right thing. Because God, being a loving God and a just God, you can't have just, love without justice is not love. He can't very well condemn Satan for his pride and trying to rise up to the sides of the north and become like the Most High, Isaiah 14. He can't very well condemn him, cast him down out of heaven, and not deal with your sin. He has to deal with your sin. He has to deal with my sin. And he did in the death of Jesus. Are you all following me? But you have a choice of whether you will make the right choice to live for God and obey His commandments and His decrees and His laws and live in in love with Him, or not to. And to not live for him is to produce a curse. And you'll stand to give an account for it. We will all stand to give an account for everything that we've done. You say, well, I thought I escaped that if I've got Jesus. No, what you escape is eternal damnation and judgment for it. But there will be some, according to the Word of God, that will suffer loss, even though they make it to heaven. I don't know what that's like, but there's different levels in heaven don't really understand that. May I think maybe you get closer to the throne. It's your reward, you know. The third thing I see here is there's a call to preserve the dignity of another without being corrupted ourselves. There's a call to preserve the dignity of another without being corrupted ourselves. And this is what Shem and Jephthah do. They could have done what Ham did and yielded the sin, but instead... They turn their backs and they cover their father's nakedness. I've said this before. One of the things the enemy loves to do is tries to wipe out leaders. And sometimes when a leader fails or does something wrong, you know, you just need to cover them. Now, other times those cons- there's very clear consequences for somebody's... There's always consequences for your sin. <laughs> You'll pay way more than you want to. There's always consequences. But when, when somebody does something wrong, or maybe a father in the house, you know, gets frustrated with his kids, you know, ladies, don't get all bent at the dad. Try to cover him with your, with your children. You know, especially. Because then you'll breed bitterness. The same thing happens at work. The same thing happens at life group leaders. And I'm not talking about flagrant sin. I'm just saying when somebody falls short, you cover them. Love covers a multitude of sin. 
Proverbs 17, verse 5 says, He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Proverbs 24, verse 17 and 18 says, Do not gloat over your enemy when he falls, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice. Listen to this. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn His wrath away from him. <laughs> Look, you have, to, <laughs> you have to deal with evil. Turn to Galatians 6. But you have to deal with it in such a way that, pres- that preserves a person who failed. 1 Corinthians talks about when somebody fails, you're to, you're to deal with them, but then don't, don't let it go so long after they've repented because that sorrow can actually cause somebody to go even deeper. Listen, some of you need to get a hold of this. Well, they did this to me years ago. Well, now they're, now they're living right, let's say. Look, you need to let it go. You need to forgive him. Don't make eternal judgments over, over, over people who have failed before, but now they're going after God. You know. In Galatians 6, Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch out for yourself. You may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And this is what Shem and Jephthah did. He's saying that if you're spiritual, you should restore such a one. But be careful that you're not tempted by the same sin. I have seen people who've tried to help somebody who, who, who had no... They had no framework to be able to help them. I've seen people get saved in this church. I've seen this over the years. Our years of pastoring. Years of 20 years of being in ministry, basically. Is, is somebody gets saved, they get really on fire for God. They're just getting their life together and they, they want to reach and help their, their drug addict friend. Or they want to reach and help uh, somebody who's got a heavy lust problem, but they're not quite out of the woods themselves. So they, they reach to help them, pull them in, and before you know it, the whole house goes to hell in a handbasket. And, and some of them I've never even seen come back. They, they well-meaning tried to help somebody, but they had no framework, no foundation by which they could do that. You who are spiritual. Look, if you're going to lose your temper and get mad at somebody in correcting them, you're not the person to do it. Mm-hmm, yay. If you're going to blow your stack and get all irritated when you're trying to correct somebody who's had a problem, then guess what? You're disqualified. Well, that's, what, that's our job. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You who are spiritual. Are you saying I'm not spiritual? If you lose your temper? Absolutely. Yes, I am. That's a righteous indignation. No, it's not righteous because the second you had thought you had righteous indignation because you're a man, you would lose it instantly. God's the only one that really has righteous indignation. A true righteous indignation. Okay, turn to Matthew 18. So how do we handle failure? How do we handle the failure of others? How do we handle our own failure? If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if you'll not listen, take one or two others along. Oh, I would to God that we would do this. I mean, it would say countless hours in my office in counseling that people could just do this. We'd reach more lost people and we'd have less. I, I'm going to start over. Matthew 18, verse 15. Are you all there? Say, woo! All right. If you didn't bring a Bible because you memorized it already, if you could just stay behind and pray for me because I want to try to memorize my Bible also. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Matthew 18, verse 15. If a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But, if he'll not listen, take one or two others along. So that every matter may be established in the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, the church basically is me. And then at that point, we'll discuss and pray about whether somebody needs to be disfellowshipped Okay, the church isn't you telling every, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry, Sister Bucket Mouth about what happened. Brother backstab. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. 
So what's your obligation? You're, you go to them, you say to that person, you talk to them, it's an opportunity for them to be healed, and you do it in love. What's your, it's not your responsibility to tell the world. It's your responsibility to tell the world about Jesus. It's not your responsibility to tell the world about somebody's failure. But if more people would lovingly confront each other, you'd be healthier. Some of you don't understand boundaries. Don't know how to say no. Try it. Go ahead. Try to say no. Ready? One, two, three. No. No can be a very good thing. It can be very liberating. Hi, can I have all your money in your bank account? Oh, let's try another one. Would you co-sign for me on my new car? Come on, say it again. Would you co-sign for me on my new automobile? Would you co-sign for me in my house? No, because the Bible talks about, look, I've known people that burn their house down because they co-signed for somebody who just then basically flipped them and took off and left them holding the bag. My, my, my. It's important to confront people when they fail them. Important to deal with that the right way. The next time somebody wants to come and tell you about the sin of somebody else, you just tell them that you don't want to participate in witchcraft. Because that's what that is. And there's been many people that have been deeply hurt. That have been deeply hurt because of somebody. I mean, I've been caught in a web of that myself. Have you heard? Oh, it's only 11.30. I've got about 10 more minutes. I might as well tell you a story. Years ago, I was being raised up in our church, my wife and I, sitting behind Dr. Morocco. This is many, many years ago. I've told it before. Some of you might remember. There was a lady who looked like a witch. I mean, I, I didn't, she wasn't wearing a pointy hat, but she might as well have. Okay, you know, pointy hat. She didn't bring her cauldron, but we all thought it was in her van. And it was right during that time when there was a lot of uh, hubbub about witches entering into churches. And that has happened. And it's a very real thing. Okay? It's nothing you need to be afraid of. But, you know, we need to be akamai, as they say in Hawaii, or wise about such things. So there was this lady who began to sit directly behind Dr. Morocco, kind of where Tammy and David are sitting. There was a seat for the usher, but it would be right there. And she moved around kind of unusually. And, and uh, I was being raised up as one of the leaders. And I remember somebody saying to me, we need to pray for pastor because that lady right behind Dr. Morocco is a witch. And I thought, oh, I was wondering about that. <laughs> because I mean, she looked like one. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, well, okay. He says, you need to talk to Dr. Morocco. We need to do something about it because you know how it's just going to be terrible and you know how doctor, uh, you know, how he got that cough now, you know, it's a curse and, you know, that kind of thing. Right? So I make, it, I, I make an appointment to come in to talk to Dr. Morocco. I knock, I, I come in, I knock at his door, everybody's there, hi, hi, doctor, I come in, I said, Pastor, let me pray for a second. Lord, release wisdom right now. In Jesus' name. He's like, amen. What is it, Daniel? I said, well, I need to talk to you. It's a very serious matter. It's in the church. Kind of smiles at me <laughs> and says, "What is it?" I said, "Well, that lady," and he just puts his head down. That lady behind you, she's a witch. He says, "Oh, have you spoken to her about that?" I said, "What do you mean?" Well, did you talk to her? Did you did you confront her in her witchcraft? Did you, did you talk to her? Did you ask her if she's a witch? I mean, how do you know she's a witch? I said, "I know." Not only me, but a number of people know. And we, we are very concerned about you. And he said, okay, well, why don't, you, why don't you talk to her? I said, really? He says, oh, yeah. And he gave me Matthew, Matthew 18. And then I go to step out, and he says, Daniel, come here, sit down. He says, I'm going to tell you, just because God's raising you up, I'm going to help you with this right now. The lady's not a witch, but she used to be. She got saved. She got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And she's part of our counseling program. And 
she's doing really well and we're proud of her. The problem is, is that everybody's talking about her being a witch. And if that doesn't change, then she will no longer be in our church. And she might not ever have another chance to get equipped and to serve God. Because she'll be so hurt. You know what happened? That thing was so rampant in our church that we couldn't get a hold of it again. And I began to, I went back to the person because he told me to. Now go back to the person that told you that and told him to knock it off. And tell them to go do the same thing and to quit it. And so I went back to the person I did that. But it had become such a cancer that that lady got so ostracized that before you know it, she wasn't in our church anymore. And she might not ever serve God again. I mean, I don't know. Well, gossip's a wicked thing. Now, let's move on to the little bit of the meteor portion as I attempt to bring this message to a close. Ham was cursed by his father, and there's a number of things I saw in my dream, but one of the, to, to bring it to my dreams, to bring it to brass tacks this morning, is the truth of it is that the many of you are here and you're living under a curse. You say, well, I'm not living under a curse. I've, I've, got, I've got Jesus. Just because you got saved doesn't mean the curses over your life are broken. We could take you to Acts and Simon Magus and how he got saved, was baptized, was hanging out with Philip, and he was bound. Look at D. Our sin or righteousness or righteous deeds affect the future. What you do, whether you live right before God or whether you choose to live a life apart from Him or a life of sin, will affect not just your life, but the future. Ham's sin affected Canaan. That was his son. And if you look at Leviticus 18, it catalogs the sin that was going on in Canaan's land. And it's interesting that the main sin, watch this now, the main sin of Canaan's land was a sexual sin. The generations of Ham, the very thing that Ham did is now in the generations of, of Canaan, and we call it Canaan's land, was a sexual sin. That was the main sin. And that was the sin of Ham. And to such a degree, catalogs Leviticus 18, that God was going to vomit the inhabitants of Canaan's land out of the land because of that. And I preached a message on that, about how America's on the very verge of that. The very verge of being vomited out of our own land. Because of sexual sin and other things. And this is the way it happens. When sin is done one generation, it becomes more pronounced than the next one. It's called generational sin. Now, I, I, quickly, please, turn to Exodus 20, verse 5. And I'm also going to look at Jeremiah 31, verse 29, and Ezekiel 18, 3. It's right there. You can look them up later, if you like, for the sake of time. Let me read Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. God said, basically, if you worship idols, that punishment will come upon you and your children. Sexual sin has become an idol. Lust has become an idol. It's a stronghold that's in the mind of people. And it's being passed on to the next generation. There is another truth found in Jeremiah 31, verse 29. In those days, the people no longer say the fathers have, eat our, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. God is saying you look at your own sin, it can be affecting not only you, but literally your children after you. And then, then think about it this way. Think about it backwards. What you have in your life now could be greatly affected by what your fathers did. Fathers meaning father and mother the generations that went before you. And I will tell you, by the word of the Lord, through my three dreams, I will just say this. 
that some of you are in a battle that's titanic in size. Huge. And you're wondering why just the normal prayer and the normal living for God isn't breaking that thing through. Why you continually have to fight that. Continually have to deal. First of all, I want to say that you will always have to fight until the trumpet sounds. You will always have to war in your mind. You're in a battle against sin until it's over, baby. Till it's over, you'll have to resist the devil until he flees. That's just the Christian walk. The Christian walk is warfare. It's all part of it. We can do it with joy and have fun. Amen. But some of you are oblivious to the fact that what happened in your generations... Pay attention. Don't sleep right now. Heads up. Watch this. What happened in your generation so greatly affects you now that you're struggling literally with a, with a, with a bondage that just doesn't break off by a Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so kind of a song and prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. It won't just break like that. You're going to have to learn to wield the sword. You're going to have to learn to fight. You're going to have to learn to fast. You're going to have to learn to pray. Or you can stay stuck in your generational iniquity. Iniquity is the result of sin. And I'm telling you, some of you, I can even see, I can see now like slumber beginning to come on you. That's because the enemy doesn't want you to hear what I'm telling you this morning. You can be free. You can be liberated. And so can your generations that are after you. And if you want to have a life of freedom in Christ, you're going to have to realize that your father and your father's father and the things that have gone before you, they need to be dealt with in your own thinking, in your own life. It's, it's called the results of generational sin. Now, Ezekiel 18.3 says, the soul that sins is the one who will die. How do you reconcile these thoughts? These two different thoughts about sins. Do you mean, what, what about that? That's passed out of me? I mean, I'm like, I didn't even do anything. That was just like my, my father, my grandfather. I didn't, what did I have to do with it? I wasn't even alive. Do you see the dichotomy? You're responsible now for what you live the way that you live now. But how is it that you're responsible for your father's sin? What kind of a deal is that, God? It's a dichotomy. It's unusual. In the demonic, the demonic realm, let me say this. A curse is passed down from generation to generation. And that's one's own sin that will be judged for that. Curses are passed down from generation to generation. But God equips us through the Word and by the Spirit of God to make the right choice. So that you don't live the same way and receive that curse. But some things are harder to break than others. Like there's, there's somebody who has a lust problem. And then there's somebody who has like a supernatural generational lust problem. Two different categories. One's a lot harder to break. But nothing's too hard for the Lord. Somebody say amen. In the demonic realm, everything revolves around rights. Satan is the most legalistic entity there is. And if he has rights to you, if rights are given to him, then he takes full advantage of them. Part of what is meant for Christ to be crucified on the cross was the claim for Satan because of sin. Somebody had to die. You've got to understand that Satan said somebody had to die. Jesus did. Satan had to have somebody. God had to offer his one and only son. And Jesus satisfied that. So when you do some foolish thing, you literally become meat for Satan. When you make a choice to go ahead and do something that's stupid, you know it's wrong. You might as well just hang a big piece of meat around your neck and wait for the big grizzly to come get you. Let's put it a different way. Just get some red paint, put a big bullseye right there on a big outer rim, and just wait for impact. Because it's going to come. Why? Because because sin produces that. Even Satan knew that, so he tried to get Jesus to yield to sin in, in the in the wilderness. Many people think they just get away with doing what they want. Oh, you might think you're getting away. But in the end, the wages of sin is death.
and then it gets played out in your children. And I don't know about you. Don't mess with my kids. You know, in Texas, they had... Texas, they released some guy who, who, who raped a five-year-old over 30 times. You know what kind of a law is that? Oh, yeah. You think, well, people that make those laws, they just need to imagine that that was their daughter. My, my, my. All right, there's redemption. Everybody say there's redemption. Come on, that's the good news. The good news there's redemption. No matter what your mama did, no matter what your daddy did, no matter what you might even be struggling with, there is redemption. There is God who will make a way for you so that you can be healed and whole and have every generational curse broken off of you. And every generation is responsible for breaking the generational curse. And I think it gets easier and easier as we live rightly before God. There's redemption. We as believers don't believe in karma, but there is seed sowing and harvest. Jesus is alive, and He can make a way for you. He can make a way for you. He can make a way for me. If you look at the life of Rahab, and I'll close with this. Micah, would you come, please? You look at the life of Rahab. Rahab was a daughter of Canaan. But she chose to move and change sides. She chose, or even she was a prostitute. Prostitute. A prostitute. She was a prostitute. She chose to say, I want to be with you guys. I'm going to go on God's side. I'm going to help God out on this. I'm going to hang this scarlet thread out of my window. And what God, what, what, what her house was, was a house of prostitution then became a house of salvation. Anybody that came into that house was saved in Jericho. Everybody else in Jericho got wiped out. They got stomped out. She chose. It's a picture. that When you choose, the scarlet, the scarlet cord hanging out of her window is a picture of the blood. In fact, you can do a study. We call it the scarlet thread. You can do a study of the blood and how the blood... Of, of Jesus is, is the types and shadows is all through the Old Testament and how when somebody choose to, to turn their back on the enemy and turn their back on their old life turn their back on sin and begin to live for God that how God would take somebody like that and turn them into somebody who could be a history changer I mean that one prostitute Mary she broke her alabaster box washed the feet of Jesus with her hair and her tears. And because of her flagrant act of worship, Jesus said every time the gospel's preached, they'll talk about her. Wow. But what are you saying? I'm telling you this. That there is a very real thing called a curse. There is a very real thing called the blessing. You want the blessing. But it does not happen just because you just get saved. You have to appropriate it. You, you don't receive the grace of God in vain. You have to, listen, some land needs to be taken. Tim prayed it. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. If you want to be free, it doesn't just happen. You have to diligently work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not, you look, working out your salvation means the, the, the salvation of the sozo of your own mind. Your mind is a, is a sewer and you're going to have sewer life. How do you do that? By reading the Word? By confessing your sins to God and to others? By living for Him? By getting in a, in a, in a place where you can learn to break off your bondages? I'm going to tell you, one of the things that grieves me as a pastor is that people never develop relationships. They just come on a Sunday morning or they come on a Sunday night or a midweek and they never develop relationships by which we can trust people where you can then tell somebody about the porn problem that you have so that you can get free. And we come and we expect that this is just going to be it and we're going to pray and I'm going to pray and God's going to move. There's no doubt. But then you're going to have to put feet to that prayer. You're going to have to resist the devil. You're going to have to set your life up. Come on. If you've got a greed problem, if you have an anger problem, if you have a lust problem, you have to deal with that. And if you don't, then what will happen, according to Romans 1, is that you'll soon be turned over to that thing. And you'll end up with a seared conscience. 
And according to Hebrews, I mean, even if you did receive Jesus, you can turn from the living God. You say, oh, I've received the Lord. That's no license to do whatever you want to. Some of you, some of you like the fig tree that's bearing no fruit, you know, the, the, the owner came and wanted to cut it down, but the, the, the vine dresser said, no, 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 the keeper of the fig tree, the farmer, what do you call him? steward of the fig tree said don't cut it down give it one more year I'll dig around it we'll fertilize it and if it produces fruit then you know hallelujah but if it doesn't then we'll cut it down man some of you on your last year I'm telling you and that is a that is a dream and I began to have some of you don't understand you have been playing church all your life all your life and you've never dealt with that lust issue you never dealt with it quick lock the doors right there lock I'm, I'm kidding. You've never dealt with your greed. You've never dealt with it. And it torments you. You have dreams. It torments you. You do not have to live that way. You can be free. You can be healed. You can be whole. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But you've got to choose it. If you just think one day you're going to wake up and you're just, everything's great. News flash. Wrong. You've got to work it out. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to read the Word. You've got to develop relationships. You have to develop accountability. Somebody who you can confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. There's hope for you. There's hope. Would you all stand up on your feet all across this place? You don't have to be bound anymore. You can be free. You don't have to be cursed anymore. Be free. For the blood of Calvary is shed, shed for you and me. The sun sets free, is free indeed. Who the sun set free is free indeed. No more bondage, no more fear, no more bondage, no more fear. going to go for a seeker-friendly model on this one. If you are struggling with what you believe to be a generational sin or a curse, and you'd like it broken today, unashamed, you know, when Jesus dealt with stuff, He never made fun of somebody. I'm going to tell you, I ran to every altar call there was. If it was a word of knowledge, if it came within 18 inches of the need that I have, I felt it was good. If it was a generational, it was a message on generational sin like this, I thought, there's got to be something in there because I'm not quite all the way yet. Maybe there is. I'm not sure. Set me free. Amen. And I would just go. I would just go to everything. I would look at generational sin in Scripture and figure, I probably have that. Lord, forgive my father. Works for me. It's not a shame thing. If you struggle with anger or lust or greed, if there's a besetting sin that's attacked itself with you, to you, some of you read the Word of God and fall asleep. You can't stay awake. There's a number of people here. You, you, it's called slumber. You begin to read the Word and you just... I mean, you thought you got a good rest, but now you just want to sleep the second you crack that thing open. That could be the result of generational things that have gone before you. Either way, it's not of God. If you're here... You want to be free. The message spoke to you. You want your kids to go on in liberty. Come to the front. Barry, would you come and help us on the platform? 
Can you sing? Come on, lift your hands. Holy Spirit, we come now. Ask you to begin to descend and do the work that you love to do. Heavenly Father, we come boldly before your throne. Now, whether you're up here or not, maybe it's too much for you to come to an altar. does not matter. Right where you're at. You're serious about it. You want to get free. You, you, you want some stuff broken. Or you might not be sure. You realize, man, I, maybe I got some stuff. Well, then pray and agree with me right now. And we're going to break it. Amen. You can be blessed. Some of you don't experience the presence of God. You don't even feel it. You don't feel His presence. Okay, if you don't feel His presence, it's probably because you've been wounded deeply in your life somewhere. Maybe you were abused and things like, things like that happen. You can, you can pray that God would heal you. So we're not just praying for generational sin to be broken or iniquity to be broken. We're praying for healing. We're praying for our... We're repenting also of our own sin. So come on, right before God, just ask God to forgive you for your part in it. Okay, ushers, you're relieved of your duties. I will usher for myself. Go after God. Go on. I got it. Come on, go after God. Examine your life. Those of you online, come on, this will change your life. Begin to pray. Come on, pray. Ask God to forgive you. Nehemiah, can you all hear me pretty good? Before you start praying, listen to this. Nehemiah, when he heard about the wall of Jerusalem being broken down, he wept and he fasted. And when he began to pray, Nehemiah prayed what is called identificational repentance. Everybody say it. Identificational repentance. In other words, even though you're not the one that did the wrong, you stand in the place of your fathers who have gone before you because their blood, fathers meaning father and mother, generations before you on both sides, you carry their bloodline. You carry that. And so you repent in their place. You said, I didn't have anything to do with it. No, but you're their offspring and you want that thing broken off of you. Amen? And so you repent in their place. Lord, forgive my fathers. Forgive my father, my grandfather. Oh. Come on, talk to Jesus. Forgive our fathers, our mothers, Lord, the generations that are before us. Break that generational iniquity off of our lives, off of our family, off of our children, off of us. Now, in the name of Jesus, lust, go. Greed, go. Idolatry, go. Fits of rage and anger, lust, go. In the name of Jesus. Free your people now. Free them. Free them now. 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 Addiction, go. In the name of Jesus. Be free. Be free. Be free in Jesus' name. In the name that's above every other name, I curse the work and operation of the enemy off of your lives. And I command that these... these assignments from from hell are now broken. The rights that Satan has are now broken because the price has been paid in the blood of Jesus. And we appropriate the blood now over our generations that have gone before us and the generations that are yet to come. Lord, we pray now the covering of the blood of the Lamb over us, our families and those that are to come. In the name of Jesus, every curse is broken in Jesus' name. Say it with me. Every curse is broken in Jesus' name. Say it again. Every curse is broken in Jesus' name. Say it like you mean it. Every curse is broken in Jesus' name. Now, if you can't lift your voice and pray that, there's something wrong with you. Now, I'm not said that to bring condemnation on you. But you need to learn to make decrees. So I'll give you another opportunity. I'm not saying that to put condemnation on you. You said you ought to ask yourself why you can't say that. Why? Why is that? I don't want to. Why? Right. Why? Why not? I'm not like that. 
Okay, you don't have to be like with your face turning red and shouting at the top of your lungs, but you ought to be able to say that if you believe it. We're going to say it again. Come on. And then if not, don't just dismiss this service as a bunch of Pentecostal nuts. You think about that. Why can't you say that you want the curse broken off your life in Jesus' name? Maybe you don't believe in Jesus. Maybe you don't believe in curses. I, I, I can develop this a little bit better, but I thought it would be good enough. So wherever you are in your walk with God, there might be something operating there. Is it possible? Is it possible? Yes, it is. Let's pray it again. Every curse be broken in Jesus' name. Say it again, everybody. Every curse be broken in Jesus' name. Last time, every curse be broken in Jesus' name. Say this off of me. The generations that have gone before me, their sin is now atoned for. It's now paid for by the blood of Jesus. All the generations that are yet to come will be free from the curse. I've decided that I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to live for God. Free. No more bondage. In Jesus' name. Give God a shout of praise. I want to sing it. Come on. Come on. You know the song. Right where you're at. Come on. We're going to sing it. Come on. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Oh, there ain't no chains that can hinder me. Hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. Come on, clap. Come on. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Oh, there ain't no chains that can hinder me. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. Put your hands together. Hallelujah. Church is almost over. Give me praise. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Oh, there ain't no chains that can hinder me. Hallelujah. Come on, you ought to get happy. Hallelujah. Through the sunset free, it's free indeed. Oh, there ain't no change that can hinder me. Hallelujah. Come on, Micah. Come on. Hallelujah. Now I have a purpose. Now I have a destiny. You made me for your glory. Why you make you? You made me for your glory. Come on, sing it!
praise you, Lord. Cause your face to shine upon your people. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them. And give them peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give God a shout. God bless you. We'll hope to see you tonight.